Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park of Conspiranormal. I'm your host, Adam Sane, and with me is my wonderful co-host, Luke Reed. Luke, how you been doing, man? It's been awesome. a while. Yeah, it has been a while, Adam. I've been uh, into as many adventures as I can being broke, no money. I understand that you had a uh, a uh, run-in with a certain beverage. Mountain Dew. I, I call it the, uh, it's the devil liquid now, or, or, or devil juice. What happened with the Mountain Dew? I uh, drank a little bit too much. I'm not used to caffeine. I don't Ooh. usually drink sodas. Harsh. And uh, had some pretty crazy reactions to it. Did you transcend? No. I descended. You descended? <laughs> did you de-evolve into a monkey? It felt that way. I, I did go a little primal, growling <laughs> at people and such, and pacing the floor. Well, I was uh, in Washington, D.C. last week and uh, got to see the Masonic... Lodge of the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry. It was very interesting. I'm going to have some pictures up on the Facebook page here, possibly on the blog pretty soon. But I showed you some of those pictures today. What do you think of some of that? I think I want to go join the Freemasons now. <laughs> <laughs> well, interesting story uh, about the free, about the, we went there with, uh, to DC, myself and uh, my father and my stepson. And uh, they had asked him a couple of questions. They asked him if he was in the Demolay Society, and uh, which is kind of the junior league of the Freemasons. And also he had a strange story to tell of where uh, a well-dressed man was said, uh, here, come here, i got something to show you. It was going to take him in a little room. And uh, he said, well, i got to get back with the tour group. So I thought that was very interesting and uh, but uh, I told him, man, he should have gone in there, you know, been able to infiltrate the, Come here, the, little the boy. Masonic Lodge. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, they took us on a tour and they even have a gift shop. You can go in the gift shop and buy the morals and dogma of uh, Albert Pike. And Albert Pike is the uh, he was the guru of Freemasonry and uh, he uh, is buried there in the wall. And the uh, encyclopedic outline of Masonic. Her, hermetic, Kabbalistic, and Rosicrucian philosophy. Yeah, that was, uh, took a few pictures out of that book that were very interesting. And, 
I don't know, just really interesting stuff. Uh, so if anybody, you know, there's something fun and out of the ordinary, you know, people go to the Smithsonian and we did all that stuff, but, uh, the Capitol building did that, saw all the monuments in DC, but then, you know, that was a very unique side to DC and the, you know, the kind of the secret hidden side. So I was very happy to have done that, even though it's a rather odd thing to do, but, uh, we have a guest in studio tonight and, uh. This is someone that uh, has uh, really been a, a, a trailblazer um, in the studies of especially UFOs. Uh, his name is Guy Malone. He's from Nashville, Tennessee, where we are. But he lived for 10 years in Roswell, New Mexico. And he had a very uh, unique ministry out there. And uh, I'd like to have him come on to talk about it. We're going to talk about quite other things. So we'd like to welcome you to Conspiracy Normal Guy. Welcome to the show. Thanks both of you, man. It's fun to be here. Great setting. Thank you. Uh, can you kind of tell uh, our audience, you know, who you are? Uh, did you know mention some of it briefly, but kind of you know, go into who you are, kind of your history, and uh, we'll, sure. we'll just go from there. Yeah, the typical bio stuff. I uh, grew up in Nashville, but I was, as a very young child, an experiencer of, at minimum, we'll say, paranormal phenomena. Uh, the stuff that secular media, popular culture today, actually labels alien abduction. I had uh, multiple childhood experiences that you would almost classify as stereotypical now, but I'm in my 40s, and that stuff just wasn't known near as bad or as widely. Uh, that was all my childhood and like elementary school before the uh, Steven Spielberg movie Close Encounters even came out. So I didn't have a lot of cultural influence leading me to believe that's what it was. Hmm. But it was tormenting and, uh, you know, the again, the stereotypical, scary, tormenting sexual stuff happened along with it. And most of this I just remembered later in life, put it together from memories, dreams, things I'd written, things I'd drawn. So I spent a lot of my uh, semi-teenage and early adult life just believing in UFOs and aliens and still kind of curious, wanting to know what was behind it all, and especially um, trying to know if there was a way to make it stop because I didn't want it coming back to me later on in life. At least from what I read, that's what was pretty much guaranteed to happen at the time. And years went by, and I just lived with the normal, I don't know, fear, paranoia kind of stuff that accompanies that. I, I actually, nowadays... Like I said, the people call it alien abduction. But at some point in my life, I began to take a more uh, just biblical view on the topics. I became a Christian sometime in my 20s. And just from studying the Bible, I realized that my experiences and the actions of the entities or visitors, as I would call them, very closely paralleled and identified the activities of fallen angels and demons in the Bible to where it was pretty discernibly the same thing and I just snapped and realized this wasn't aliens the whole time I've just been like demon oppressed or something and it's really kind of a normal experience um, it's an explainable experience is what I would say if you have a pretty firmly rooted or grounded biblical worldview. and um, the thing is the activity stopped actually I, I don't live in fear of it coming back anymore there's something, you know, I've, I've learned in the years since um, with one of my coworkers, Joe Jordan, that he was a 
UFO abduction researcher that he's got the only documented way of stopping alien abduction, and that's in the name of Jesus Christ, just in the standard call out for help or deliverance or exorcism kind of style that people, your audience may be more familiar with words like that. But uh, I started to write about my experiences after this thing that happened years ago. Do you remember the UFO cult called Heaven's Gate in California? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of came to my own conclusions, and I kept it pretty private and was just living my life. Um, but when that group uh, committed suicide based on the UFO teachings and the religious teachings of their leader, it, I just kind of became awakened or realized, you know, I really have answers that a lot of people are looking for. This was late 90s, really what most of us would call the beginnings of the Internet, and people were going online to search out information. So really I just threw up a web page, kind of told my story, and gave my view and lived my life here in Nashville and um, thought really I'd just write a web page and be done with it. But as time progressed, the site got more popular. It even got linked way, way, way back in the day from artbell.com, which now nobody even recognizes that website, but it was sure. the precursor to the to now George Norrie's Coast to Coast AM website. But my traffic went from a dozen or 20 hits a day to 600 hits a day with that link, and that was unheard of back in the 90s. Yeah, that's pretty massive for like 97, 98, somewhere around there. Yeah, so I got tons of email too, and it, it grew into a calling basically. I just, uh, well, let's go where the action is. Let's go where people are looking for this uh, type of information. So in 99, I wound up moving to Roswell, New Mexico, uh, set up shop, <laughs> quite literally became a permanent fixture there for a while, and as you said, I uh, spent a decade there, 11 years actually, uh, first just promoting my view and trying to get my book out there, attending UFO conferences around the country where people look to these, or they go to other conferences to find out the truth behind their experiences or UFOs in general, and offering my point of view at vendor booths. And uh, the longer I was in Roswell, the more uh, permanently fixed I became as a uh, a fixture there and started having my own conferences and as years went by the conferences got to be well known and uh worked with the city and their annual ufo festival and it was pretty ironic because i was sort of opposing it and i was the alternative point of view and uh wound up becoming almost an attraction on its own because the point of view that i was representing more and more people were stumbling across one way or another writing their own books. So we had a pretty strong history of producing conferences there. It's all the DVDs and lectures we recorded. So it's all online for free viewing. But by the time I left, you know, I went there opposing the point of view. And by the time I left, the city actually paid me for a lecture presenting my view on the topic. So that's mission accomplished. You know, kind of felt, felt comfortable leaving there uh, just a couple years ago and getting started over back in Nashville right now. So they at first didn't accept you and probably never really accepted the point of view, but they accepted you as a person and, and the insight that you had into it. Yeah, it was some point of some people had their own view and they were fixed in it and it was permanent and there was no arguing with them. And it was pretty much just the alien crash theory that we're all familiar with. You know, if you've watched the X-Files or open up any editorial cartoons these days, and I was able to, generally speaking, without histronics or without rudeness, 
present a different point of view that was it was different from them or different from what the city was selling but you know, it, there's an old saying about you know with your uh, a christian or preaching the gospel at any level is that you know our message is offensive enough already but you don't personally have to be so i wasn't hitting anybody over the head with a rock or a bible or anything like that i've just opened up a storefront down in roswell paid my rent and basically <laughs> other than people disagreeing with me was a good citizen and uh people actually started coming to roswell to hear what i had to say and they realized well that's that's bordering on becoming a tourist attraction or a local celebrity. So, well, I wound up being good for the economy in some ways. That's yeah, that's that's cool. Um, could you kind of go into some of the experiences that you had when you were younger? Um, sure. Yeah. Um, it's detailed in line. The kind of the reason for writing my book in the first place, "Come Sail Away," was to give an autobiographical perspective, kind of journal style. And so that uh, people that were also like me, having these experiences, not knowing what to do with them or what they were, or especially how to stop them, which is most people's common request. That's what the, that's what they want more than anything. I don't care what it is. Just please, <laughs> can somebody tell me how to make it stop? You know, that's what you hear a lot. But I just wanted people to relate that you know I've had these experiences and it has stopped. But um, a lot of the stuff that stands out would be uh, nighttime visitations where in at one time I felt like I was being chased around my house uh, by what I described to my grandmother uh, way back then when I'm like five years old as a dream of these giant cats with big eyes that were pinning me down and trying to eat me, cutting into me and stuff like that. You know, alien autopsy surgery style. Yeah. If, you know, I'm not exactly sure why the memory stood out that way, but that's what it did. In the UFO abduction research literature, a lot of people, there's things called screensaver memories or something that happened to someone was actually so traumatic you don't even really remember the way it happened. Or but people would see like, an, they would see like an owl. The owl like and a, the deer. deer you got it, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, they just have this haunting image of an owl or some large-eyed animal that is just always present watching them in their life, in their peripheral in their subconscious that was one for me there was another more daytime experience where i just had a flat out long conversation with what i would have said was a uh, a praying mantis in my front yard except it was like a three or four foot tall taller than me you know it was just a little teaching session the guy was you might say talking to me it's not that i really remember his lips moving but you know that went on for it could have been 20 minutes or an hour or more i just don't know i just when it was over, there was nothing I could do about it. I was stuck there. I couldn't resist. I couldn't. My It was so normal to me at one point in my life to where I just sat there and listened to the thing talk to me. And then when he was gone, I just went back to playing in my front yard like a normal what, seven or eight-year-old kid would do. <laughs> what, what, do you remember what it talked about? No, actually, I don't. Um, just the distinct impression that this was a lesson another lesson something that he he they whatever the experiences in general were just working to drive into me but i know with again i was born in uh 1968 so all this happened to me way before there was x-files or way again even before close encounters so there wasn't a strong cultural influence 
that I could tie this to as if it were my own imagination or or me twisting the perceptions to what I'd see, to fit what I'd seen on television. And even before, um, I think more importantly, communion. Uh, yeah, the, the Whitley Strieber book. Yeah, I remember reading that book when I was about nineteen or twenty, and that's actually uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I might have left it out. Reading that book is kind of what made me snap and put into perspective of, you know, I have these dozen different experiences and memories, and this is what they add up to. It was from reading uh, the Whitley Strieber book, Communion, that I learned that people that have this as a childhood experience, it's going to happen to them again in their 30s. It's, it's guaranteed almost. And I just knew somewhere around age 20, that's not what I wanted. Whatever I remembered was horrific and traumatic and horrible. If I were going to marry someone one day, I wouldn't want to inflict that experience on them if we were sharing the same bed, if this was what I thought it was at the time, true alien abduction. You, you thought it was like nuts and bolts spacecraft and these were actual beings and correct physical things. Yeah, it took a long time beyond after reading communion and doing other study before I actually really, really came to the conclusion that that's really not what's happening and that the experiences match biblical accounts of demons, incubus, succubus. Later in my you know, research and journey, I, again, found Joe studying it in Florida that you could actually stop the experience in the name of Jesus Christ, which is revolutionary information to a lot of people. Um, without the serious documentable research he has to back that claim up, it almost sounds ludicrous, and I realize that. But you know, on his website that's connected to ours, you know, he's got over a hundred testimonies of people that actually give their names and recount their experiences. But that just, if you believe that, or if you open your mind to even study that research, that just very suddenly automatically lends itself to the belief system that this is actually not a uh, flesh and blood nuts and bolts experience. It is a spiritual experience. However you categorize it from there. Sure. And then Joe and I both, put it much more into a, uh, a biblical uh, Christian and this is fallen angel demonic type of experience and here's our proof of that. Here's our reasoning. Here's our arguments for that. And that's really been the course of the whole journey in Roswell and ministry uh, for the decade I was there is simply presenting that evidence. You know, People came to Roswell, New Mexico from all over the world year in and year out partly because they wanted to know the truth of the phenomena. So there we were able to offer what our research and our conclusions were as just one more uh, piece of information, one more piece of the puzzle. But whether you agree with it at face value or not, you would have to agree that in a city that's kind of making its living merchandising this sort of thing, all points of view need to be available to people who are coming from all over the world. Everybody that comes to Roswell is not convinced the aliens crashed there, but they're willing to look into it. Everybody that comes there is not convinced that aliens even exist, but they're willing to look at the research or study it out. So I I had a storefront while I was there and started putting together the conferences, so we were just presenting another piece of information that people could uh, research our claims and see if we sounded logical or made sense or not. And, and uh, a lot of the times uh, our argument prevailed to certain people. So some people did did see it the way that you that you guys saw it. Oh yeah, over time. Again, if if their mind wasn't made up, 
And the, the way I learned to look at it, because I often left Roswell and went to UFO conferences all over the country, and I would kind of frequently be asked, well, you know, often these are what you would call new age or paranormal events, even some of the stuff that happens in Roswell. But people would say, well, don't you find that's kind of a hostile crowd to be taking your message to or your research? And I would have thought that too on the front end, but what I learned right off the bat is when you think about the dynamic, you're going to an event or Roswell, the events there, where people are spending hundreds, maybe over a thousand or two thousand dollars to be there. They're taking their week's paid vacation, they're traveling hundreds of miles, and they don't necessarily just do that on a lark. They don't do that just because they want crazy pictures for their Facebook page, for instance. Yeah. Or MySpace or whatever, sure. depending on how far back you want to t- <laughs> talk about. But they, they, they do this because they want to know something in them, whether they're an experiencer, an abductee, or they've had a UFO sighting. There's just something about their life that they can't c- explain. They're intellectually honest and they're intellectually curious. So they're willing to look into it more than what they could find where they were. So when you figure that's the dynamic of 70% or up of people that go to these events is they just for some reason are compelled to learn the truth. They will show up and they will collect information. They may come to Roswell not even believing there's more than one point of view. Or they may come to the UFO conferences not even knowing that there's more than one point of view. But if you're there presenting the information, they're like, wow, thank you. It's not really that hostile an environment. Uh, I found the UFO research community and the alien abduction research community uh, is just that. It's a community, even though I was going to these events all over the country, literally from D.C., where you were. I've been there twice for UFO conferences, Um, believe it or not. (laughs) Exopolitics would be the term. Uh, Yeah, Stephen Greer. uh, Yeah, Bassett was the uh, – Steve Bassett was who I was more – who I more know a lot better. Um, uh, From D.C. to Hollywood – and Arkansas and San Antonio in between, you know, people all over the country are going to these events because they want to know the truth. As long as you just present them your information, usually I would have, I'd have some books or something available for sale, uh, but I'd have handouts and flyers and websites, and people were just like, wow, thank you, I will check this out. Cool. Well, let me ask you, Luke, I mean, what do you think about the whole alien abduction experience? I mean, what, would you study a lot into that? or um, A little bit. <clears throat> I'm not really sure what to think. I I think at a certain point, uh, it's kind of uh, fractals of your mind and the things going on in your life and kind of like a uh, a reflection of that, you know, kind of kind of just like a, a lucid dream or something, like a dream. Uh, and it's, for me, it would be kind of hard to discern what's an actual abduction and what is just kind of, uh, you know, a dream or a nightmare, really, in that case. Yeah, it it seems to me that like a lot of what uh, there's a guy saying that he experienced is um, doesn't seem in some ways not even like an abduction. Like you talk about you you're talking to a praying mantis outside, or that they're chasing you around your house. So it seems very much like uh, that there is something. Uh, did you feel that there was something going on in your mind uh, at first, or? I think the the culture itself, as I got older, reinforced or taught me to believe it was alien abduction and UFO yeah. craft. And there's other experiences I could go into. I mean, it's it is written in a book, but I like the way you put that, Luke. Actually, because even in '97, before I ever 
moved to Roswell and started doing all this big-time research, what I wrote in my own retelling autobiographically was um, is that I'm not sure whether to term the experience as actually physically real in 3D space-time, and I think I use the term like it might be like a Freddy Krueger dreamscape. Only in recent years, uh, just talking to my younger brother back here in Nashville, uh, the conference you and I met at Adam yes, a couple the years last ago. Days yeah, yeah, last days that was held here in Nashville. I went out. Uh, my brother and dad came to the talk that I was giving there that I was invited to give for the first time. You know, they weren't into this stuff. They just came because it was me, and here I was in Nashville. But my younger brother and I and his girlfriend, we went out afterwards. And um, when we were very, very young, about the age that I'm referring to, all this was happening to me, he and I shared a bedroom and slept in the same bed. And he made a point of saying, it's like, well, he had to agree. I never actually went anywhere because he would have known. <laughs> and nothing like that happened to him to where I was already in the 90s questioning, is this really a physical experience or is it more of a dreamscape, visionary, astral, whatever term you want to throw at it. Nowadays, I would pin it down uh, in a large part thanks to just my own, my current, my, my wife's research and her own writing is you open up the Bible and everything that the Bible has to say about visions, visionary experiences, and even dreams and visions, those are all very real and powerful. Uh, you remember them as real, and the Bible actually records them as real history. Like the entire book of Revelation, for instance, is a vision. But if I ever meet John in heaven, <laughs> I'm not going to say to him, that didn't really happen. It was just a dream, John. Right. Well, uh, of course, you know, from the other shows, I think our viewers know that I, I do believe that dreams and visions are very important. As I think that uh, the spirit realm is just as important as this one. Yeah, and as we've talked with uh, Dr. Future and your brother last time and Prime, uh, these things, uh, especially like, uh, when we talk about DMT, uh, the praying mantis thing, uh, those entities are those, those, I guess, lack of a better word, archetypes, those, those are there in that experience. And you know, for sure that, you know, someone's taking a drug mm -hmm. and that they're not actually physically you know, experiencing this, that that's something that's, that's in their, yeah. in their mind, but uh, I don't think it makes the, the experience the, any less real. Right. The hallucinogenics to me are kind of like a kickstart because even Luis Felipe is over here saying that, uh, he had visions of the same thing, the praying mantis when he was younger. And, uh, I'm unfortunate not to have experienced many things like that, you know, in my youth, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, the hallucinogenics to me would just be kind of like a kickstart to, uh, Get, get your mind get your mind going you know well apparently you don't really even need it um but i wanted to get back to you know as far as like your your faith um had you at the time i know you were you were little or you're young you're a teenager had you been a christian while no, this was going on not at all so you and, weren't raised in church or no and interestingly that's one of the things that many people have researched in the last two decades is that far and wide predominantly this so-called alien abduction experience doesn't happen in christian households it may be one in a hundred 
uh, compared to the number of people that are experiencing and reporting abductions, but usually have widely different backgrounds, beliefs, and, practice, and spiritual practices. Most Christians from, from a Christian bias or what we think of occult and sorcery and things like that, you can almost to a T uh, nail down people that have had the most horrific or the most uh, multiple alien abduction experiences. They have all kinds of occult and paranormal uh, connections going on in their life and in their belief system and in their backgrounds. Well, how would you say that, like, like a like when you were a child? I mean, how would a child, you know, a child really wouldn't care about those things. So, how would a child be influenced by that? Uh, quite often, we'll just find out it's uh, what you biblically define as uh, the colloquial term is just generational curses. Is that uh, it's right there in Exodus the the sins of the fathers are passed down to the third and fourth generation. Uh, me being without a, any type of Christian lifestyle or real true Christian heritage, just whatever my grandparents or parents or before them could have been into, the the phrase open door comes up a lot in Christian discussions of this stuff, that uh, paranormal or curses or familiar spirits, demonic entities get passed from generation to generation. And we have found it's part of Joe's research is that he'll say um, to that question, what about children? Uh, you know, there's one, of, there's one of three things that brings it into your life in general. One would be you asked for it, like you went out of your way looking for it, seeking it, and so it showed up. And, um, Which I've heard happen plenty of times, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, but one of them, one of the, his third answer, I believe, if he ever does this question live with you or any uh, interviewer, it's it's a very it's an obvious and natural question is the generational curse the sins of the parents he's worked with over 400 people that have alien abduction cases and all he does is start interviewing them about their family and it's like boom there it is if you don't mind me asking was there anything that you, that that you found in your family background not like uh séances or uh sure. super occult satan satanism or satanic rituals or anything i'll say more than anything it's just uh the lack of christian uh protection principles spirituality that just leaves the door open more in a passive way than in a uh intentional way opens doors to stuff but in everybody's life like if if you don't grow up believing you shouldn't read your horoscopes and you shouldn't go to palm readers or you shouldn't go to tarot cards and stuff like that, you're, you'll probably just wind up doing it naturally if you don't have a conviction against it. And, you know, a lot of people just live lives unknowingly in rebellion to God. But something that you learn eventually in Christian spiritual warfare circles is the Bible actually says rebellion, whether it's rebellion to God or, you know, generally speaking, rebellion to God is as the sin of witchcraft. And a lot of people just will kind of point a finger and say, well, there it is. The open door was rebellion the whole time. You're, you're receiving the same consequences of practicing witchcraft. That's a little debatable. It's not so much anything that I think would sound extremely convincing on the front end unless someone actually had a firmly entrenched and well-studied out biblical worldview. And then, believe it or not, it does start to make sense. It does line up with, you know, I'm in an odd way of saying do the math and compare this to people's lives and what the actual Bible says will and won't happen if you do or don't do this. And frankly, it just it does add up to where it's, that becomes eventually, 
I'm not pretending it's convincing right now, uh, you know, cold on the front end, but that actually does become a pretty uh, normal pattern you find in research. Do you have anything to respond, Luke, or um, No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like what you said about the DMT and the drugs and the hallucinogens yeah. producing the same type of experience. I've seen yes. the, yeah. I've seen a lot of the research that does that. That I know they've proven that if you just give someone voluntarily certain types of drugs, especially DMT, they do get these other entity, uh, these old hag, these sleep paralysis, these owls and these aliens. And it just made, when you were saying that, it made it worth, it made it go through my mind that in the, the New Testament, the word for sorcery, have you studied enough? Like, do you actually know where I'm going with this already? Uh, as far as the the Bible goes, I just kind of started reading it. I know some stories, you know, here and there, and some things that people have told me, but... The word that's translated, then, into English as sorcery and witchcraft, the root word in Greek is pharmakeia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pharmaceuticals. Right. So many people today are drawing the obvious connection that it's uh, a lot of the drugs, whether prescription or not, but especially when you get into what you're talking about, DMT, mm-hmm. and, and you just think of your old, whether it's uh, Australian or African or Native American Indian shaman and witch doctors. Right. That stuff was all about drugs and hallucinogenic visionary experiences. Right. Yeah. And what we found is, you know, the the connection, the common connection to the alien abduction experience is often some type of open door into the occult practices and research, but the uh, the practices of witchcraft, sorcery themselves, are really they have the same um, effect, consequences, or whatever as pharmacia drugs, hallucinogens. Right. To where the experiences you talk to anyone that's had a real long LSD or any other trip. Uh, they're not going to tell you the thing. They're going to tell you it was very real. You're not going to convince them that didn't happen to them. It's just, it's just interesting that even modern research, believe it or not, is basically saying what the Bible's been saying all along, is that pharmakia is an open door to the occult and the visionary experiences, especially the fallen guys. Yeah. Segway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there we go. <laughs> I knew you wanted that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to add, too, that you know the, the, the screen memory um, – interests me too uh, especially the owl because as luke and i have discovered the owl is all across the board in a lot of occultism uh you know you talk about bohemian grove <laughs> the the owl um also as a symbol of wisdom in conjunction with the goddess athena it seems to be all over occultism and, and i just wonder if there's some link to that somewhere um just a thought uh, I, I saw I saw or read or heard something about uh, the owl being linked up with um, ancient Sumerian a ancient Sumerian god who I don't know the name of <laughs> well have you ever seen the movie fourth kind have you seen that guy yeah <laughs> that's uh, have you seen that movie uh, the fourth just bits kind? and pieces I barely remember I haven't yeah. watched it again well you should see that it, it's um it, it kind of dramatization yeah yeah slightly <laughs> and they did all this kind of silly stuff with having the found footage in quotation marks but um it, you know people say that they're seeing an uh, an owl and it, it turns out it's not like the exact um it's not as much alien abduction as it seems to be demonic possession of course that's a movie but i think it comes close to some of the things that you know we're talking about here 
Right, and that's kind of what I was getting at earlier about uh, differentiating an, abduct, an abduction from a vision or a dream. Uh, you know, in that case, that from what I remember of that documentary, uh, it seemed like more of a more of a possession to me. Right, the alien abduction, <laughs> which I think um, brings us in. We'll we'll segue here in about the demons and uh, that you believe that where this is coming from is our fallen angels. Yeah, there's a, a slight semantical difference in Christian study that I of fallen angels and demons not being exactly the same entities. In short, fallen angels can materialize right here in the room and, you know, we we couldn't tell them they could appear fully human. Um, generally or only as men from what I've seen in the Bible. That's the only time that's the only record that we have in the Bible. And but the difference being is that demons are disembodied spirits that are looking for something to inhabit, uh, looking for a person to inhabit generally. And you never see in the Bible a demon materializing and being seen by anybody. You just you, there may be less tangible effects of demonic activity. Uh, but just the uh, the influence on a person's mind or their will, and then the desire. Um, if if generally speaking, it would be taught that through different types of sin practices, that that would open the door to the demon to more and less, more or less, come into you more and more and gain more and more ground, more and more control. I know a lot of almost knee jerk reaction Christians will say the UFO and alien phenomena is demonic. And I think, in a sense, they're right, but I also think, in a sense, they're very wrong, too. And the uh, caveat being that people lump demons and fallen angels as the same entities. I would just say that, from what I know personally, from experience, from many people I've talked to, and uh, a lot of the secular or non-Christian books I've read on the alien abduction phenomena, is that uh, demons aren't actually capable of what is reported in the alien abduction phenomena, but fallen angels certainly are, and more. How are the fallen angels involved? I mean, who are they? What? Where do they come from? What are they? Uh, created by God, just same as any angels. I would say that there's not a class of angels God created as fallen. There's just some point in history where they chose to sin, and fell out of God's grace. Um, I know where you're going with this, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah, and uh, or what you want? Yeah, what? Um, one of those accounts for sure. I think there's a common misnomer that Christians teach, and I really don't understand the biblical support for it. That one third of the angels fell with Lucifer, you know, before the creation of Adam, or something like that. And I, I don't see that anywhere in the Bible, for starters. What I do see is in the book of Revelation, there's this reference to one-third, but everything else you talk about the book of Revelation is supposed to be taking place in the future, or at least definitely not at the time of the book of Genesis. But the the account that I can more solidly reference is uh, Genesis 6, where there were angels who... Um, it's, it's easy to find out, by the way, if you're on a, listening online... Just open a new tab if you don't have a Bible and you want to look it up real quick, even as we talk. Uh, blb.org, just blb.org, and type in Gen 6 to the search field, and it'll 
you could actually read along and see what I'm talking about. There's a group of angels that um, early in human history uh, started mating with human women. And it's at that point that you would say they were in sin and they became what you would, you and I would, would now call fallen angels. And I am quick to point out that actually the phrase fallen angels is not even in the Bible. I know even I've used it today and a lot of Christians use it. It really is a colloquialism. But I've noticed anytime you're reading the Bible, uh, you, you can see the activities of angels and whether or not they're fallen or not would depend completely on the context of what their actions are. Are they doing something that glorifies God, points people to God, uh, serves or ministers to humans, or are they doing something that the Bible clearly identifies as sin? And, and you know from context, okay, well, this is a fallen one. The book of Daniel, only in the King James Version, I think it's Daniel 4, has the phrase watcher that appears to Daniel in a dream. And they talk about watchers and angels, in this sense anyway, is kind of interchangeable. Young, look it up later on. But... Uh, you, if you're listening, but um, Daniel goes out of his way to specify that the angel in his dream was an holy one. Like he says it twice. He's like, and a watcher, a holy one, came to me in a dream. A holy one. You're like he's making the. He's he goes out of his way to point out that the, that his dream, his vision, his uh, some reads like dreams in his bed, in his head. Uh, he goes out of his way to point out it was a holy one, and then he gets into the story because by that time they knew that there were unholy ones. So in Genesis 6, we have, um, as I'm familiar with it, um, that they come down and they mate with human women, uh, and the offspring are known as Nephilim. Right. So... What are the Nephilim? Uh, how are they associated with the phenomenon that we're talking about? Actually, they're they're not near as closely associated with the phenomenon as I think a lot of popular, especially Christian culture, makes it out to be. And uh, as you know, this has gotten to be, just in the last couple of years, a real high point of contention. Yeah, I've noticed. Um, <laughs> can't help but, huh? <laughs> yeah. It's almost to the point, I actually don't even... When I'm presenting this, uh, like if you go to our, my main website, alienresistance.org, you'll barely see any reference to Nephilim. You'll barely see any reference to Genesis 6. It's because I've found that for the sake of what I'm actually doing, uh, you know, my stick, my stance is that what people in popular culture are calling aliens and the experience of alien abduction really are not authentic extraterrestrial biological entities traveling here from light years away from other planets in spaceships. That's a ruse. That's a deception. That's what they want you to believe. You know, I will present the evidences that I've found that speak to the fact that, no, these are fallen angels. And here's the proof. One of those I've mentioned is that uh, the experience stops in the name of Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is a spiritual experience. End story almost for a lot of people that really does solve it for a lot of people when you can present them with that evidence and the number of times that has been as the scientific method says repeatable observable and so that would be one another is uh, one of the areas of research I've gone into is reading or taking into account my own experiences I had a huge interest I didn't finish talking about that 
in the occult, the new age, and reincarnation, and crystals. After yeah. these experiences in my childhood, again, not a strong Christian home, but otherwise, it was, I had a pretty neutral spiritual upbringing where I got this interest for all the crazy stuff I got into. Uh, it, it didn't come from my family, and it didn't come from, uh, you know, living here in <laughs> either. Yeah. <laughs> or growing up in <laughs> county. Um, all the schools I went to, they weren't teaching New Age junk in the schools when I was that young. Um, but I, I, for some reason, I sure knew a lot about it. I knew a lot more than any other kids. I could tell you about reincarnation. I could tell you about the zodiacs, all kinds of stuff without any formal education. And I think it came from my experiences when you're talking about what was the praying mantis telling me. Somehow or other, that's just the influence that got into me. But what I've found in reading all the uh, published works now... Uh, names that some of your listeners may be familiar with. Dr. John Mack from Harvard University, for instance. Uh, David Jacobs, yeah, Bud David Hopkins. Jacobs. Yeah. yeah, these are the biggest names in secular. Uh, they're not religious, non-Christian uh, UFO research. They've interviewed between dozens and hundreds of people as well just to get their stories. And to a T, anyone that's had the contact, either the abductee experience, you know, the interviewer, or whoever they are, will ask them, well, did they say anything to you? What did they say? And their their messages are so incredibly anti-biblical that you could almost see a conspiracy that, you know, they'll, they will teach all kinds of things like, well, it's not that there's really God in Jesus, but you are gods. You know, same lie from Genesis 3, you will be like God. Uh, you know, this whole brotherhood of man, new age, you know, the planet Earth is evolving and, you know, we're getting, we're, we're here to help humans get their frequency to a higher level so that when all these earth changes, the new age calls it. They're helping us realign our chi. Yeah, exactly. Get our chakras in line. Don't or, call it new age. My mom will yell at you. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. And she's up, she's right upstairs, right? We're in the basement and she's going to come No, We're not in the basement, folks. We were joking about that earlier. Um, but that's what the, uh, the research shows that the messages I mean, that, of ETs to the humans they've interacted with, they're downright religious messages, and they say the craziest things like, uh, you know, actually we sent Jesus. Jesus is one of us. He's really an alien. He, too, was a higher evolved being like us. He came from our planet, so just stick with us and you'll be okay with Jesus kind of stuff. I think for me that was one of the things in my viewpoint uh, studying all this you know, I was very much the same way as you, even though I never had, like, the alien abduction things. I had a couple weird things, but I, I don't really classify them that way. But, you know, that was one of the things, as some other researchers uh, besides yourself that I've that I've studied, that you got, if they are extraterrestrial beings, and they're coming all this way, and they're just coming all this way to tell us didn't talk to us about Jesus. It just didn't seem to make very much sense to me. Yeah, and they're talking about Jesus in in exactly opposite terms of what the yeah. Bible says about him. But I agree. I mean, why would you travel 90 billion light years solely to discredit one earth religion? It's just, yeah. it's, it's a it's a fail, man. It's a logical fallacy, epic fail in reasoning if you expect us to believe that, okay, you're really, all this... Where's the weather machines? You know, where's the uh, 
the flying cars and the free energy and how did you get here anyway and how do we get to where you're from? No, I mean, There's just, none of that. <laughs> That's just not in the... Land on the White House lawn and give us your stuff. Yeah, yeah. Anything you would expect would be if they were only honest extraterrestrial biological entities that had to struggle with math and physics and figuring out the secrets of the universe just to traverse the insanely billions of light years you would have to to even do what they're proposing. That's another thing. In the 50s, you studied the UFO and alien contacting movement from the 1950s and 60s. They, you know, they were all from Venus and Jupiter. And then eventually we start sending probes there and find out, nah, nothing there. That is not inhabitable at all. And by the time the 70s, 80s, 90s yeah. comes around, the, the same experiences are happening to people. They're being contacted by aliens from another planet, but now they'll say they're from the Pleiadian star system. We're really from Orion. You know, that, and that's just the whole pattern is that you go back 500 years, little people with big black eyes that would spirit people away into the woods, have lewd sex out in the woods in magic caves, poke them with magic wands or whatever. It was called elves and fairies. Every time this phenomenon is so old in human history, but it's always the the explanation of it, the proof of it. You know, if you want to look at it from a scientific perspective, is always just outside on the realms of what we can actually empirically prove and go discover. So you go from elves and fairies. We don't really believe in that so much anymore. 1950s comes around, you know, we're thinking Sputnik's coming up in the 60s. So I, I think just the lie, the deception becomes that they're aliens and they're here from Venus and Jupiter. Well, by the time we can get to Venus and Jupiter, their story changes yet again. <laughs> and it's just, it's always just outside of what we can actually prove. We can't quite point Hubble to a planet in the Pleiadian star system yet to verify, prove or disprove their story. So just the lies and the inconsistency and then the messages. That's what I was saying. You know, the experience stops in Jesus' name. Their messages are so anti-biblical and so anti-Christ that they just give themselves away as what the Bible says in First Timothy, deceiving spirits, lying and deceiving spirits in the end times. And then the third one is that all the capabilities of a, that you see in the alien abduction literature, the whole coming through the walls, the whole taking people on these fantastical journeys and extremely detailed experiences. It's all stuff angels do in the Bible. So to me, before we get back to what you asked about, I always just say I kind of have now a one, two, three approach of these are the evidences I present for my hypothesis to you that these aren't really aliens. They're yeah. the fallen angels in the Bible. And and I'm kind of done for the day. You know, if I can get that across, the the lectures that I do publicly most recently, uh, the video online and the most uh, and all of the text, like if I were to give this whole talk and you know prove it to me in a one hour setting, is the uh, it's on the URL ouraliensdemons.com. I called it that solely for search engine traffic, and it's working out pretty well. Thanks, <laughs> but um, you could watch a video just me doing a one hour version of prove this to me. You know, present to me your point of view. So and that's all online, and that's what is scattered in portions across AlienResistance.org as well. And I know in when we were talking about fallen angels, history of that's kind of where you're. Do you remember now that I've kind of thrown out my disclaimer that I really don't, I don't even 
specialize or present this too much anymore, but I know yeah. the Nephilim Fallen Angel question does come up with this research. Sure. So you could restate the question or where was I, you know, kind of thing, you know. <laughs> Is anybody lost? <laughs> well, I think, you know, to, uh, to, to talk about Nephilim, uh, you know, it, it, I, I've heard so much stuff about it that it's gotten to the point where yeah, you're right that it is really contentious that I myself don't even really bother too much with it. But if you could kind of go over a little bit of just how, what you perceive them to have been, and then I guess we'll kind of go from there. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, like I said, if you've online, if you've opened your online Bible to blb.org, like I said, <laughs> uh, Genesis 6, uh, it just begins with this passage. Um, maybe I should open mine. We're not in line because I'd like to do it straight from what it says to where I'm not misquoting or anything. But in uh, the days well before Noah and well before Noah's flood, um, several hundred years after Adam and Eve uh, as well, you have the story of these fallen angels. And this isn't taught in Sunday school, by the way. The Catholic Church actually banned this interpretation of Scripture around the 4th century. So if you think you're going to get a Bible-pounding lesson or anything out of this, you can almost think again. We're actually talking about stuff that is not popularly taught within the church realms, but it has really gotten huge footholds in the non-church or the anti-church or the esoteric realms right off the bat. But it came to pass, Genesis 6, if you've had time to look it up online, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God... Huge controversy right there. What are the sons of God? So if you see it in your Bible, the only other place this term is used in the Old Testament, that would include Job for sure, but this means angels. Just You can do your own internet search on that to verify it. The sons of God saw the daughters of men that were fair, and they took them wives of all that they chose, of all which they chose, the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for he is also flesh. His days shall be an hundred and twenty years. Verse 4, this is the answer to your question. There were giants in the earth in those days. Giants is the word that's in the King James Version. The parallel in the NIV or other modern translations will simply say, The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And then, and also after that, when the sons of God, the angels, came into the daughters of men, just ordinary human women, and they bear children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. So that's the biblical account that kind of got disavowed by church theologians around 300 uh, Augustine and a few others. They didn't like that point of view. It was a little too supernatural for them, and they were dealing with Roman philosophers and things like that. It's, this is kind of where the, the phrase is actually taking the supernatural out of the Bible. People at some point in history tried to make the Bible much more logical and philosophical and moral, a book of morals, than a true superna- a book recording supernatural events. Intervention of God, intervention of angels, you know, good and bad. So... The Nephilim themselves were just quite simply, as the Bible, a straight reading of the Bible says, they were the, you might even say, kind of somewhat superhuman or mutant children of the angels 
and the women of that day. A lot of people, will, you know, the Bible says they were the heroes of old, mighty men of renown. If you look at Greek and Roman culture, the, the comparable stories would be like you have Zeus, a god. You know, we're just saying it's a fallen angel. The Bible, what, what a lot of the other ancient cultures record as gods, their supernatural entities, I'd say the Bible is unique among all the ancient writings as actually identifying them as evil, sinning, fallen angels. But say Zeus, or Zeus mates with a human woman, boom, that's how Hercules was born. We all know that story. The demigods. Yeah, yeah, titans, all that. We all know this from eighth grade mythology or current movies. I'm just saying that there may be quite a bit of truth to what we call mythology, or at least behind it, because the Bible simply records that the angels mated with women, and they were the heroes of old, men of renown. So, answer to your question, that's the Nephilim. The reason I think it comes up in Christian cultures nowadays is because we have reports, unverified, nothing you can prove, in the secular field, people studying the alien abduction phenomena, some women claim that the angel, or I'm sorry, that the alien had sex with them, and there was a hybrid child involved, except that the aliens kept the child, and occasionally they let her visit it. Well, Christians come on the scene. They look at these reports, and they're like, no, nah, no, nah, you know, we're pretty convinced it's not aliens anymore. So what we're here to tell you is that it's fallen angels that are doing all this stuff, to which point I agree. But then all of a sudden the controversy comes, um, they're saying, see, that the fallen angels today are having sex and children with human women just like they did in the Bible. See, here's the proof text. That's where the link comes in. And I think it's, uh, it's not that strong of a link. It's actually not as strong of a correlation as people have made it out to be. Prime, one prime reason that first made me start really questioning this line, uh, I think I was speaking of it in 2005 at a public lecture, was um, that's where I met uh, Mike, Dr. Future. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, you've had him on the program, right? Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah, I think we're going to... He was our first guest. Oh, great. Yeah, I think we're, we're planning on coffee with him in, uh, probably this week, actually. Uh, yeah, he visited Roswell. He was there. Um, but if you're reading Genesis 6, it says the angels took wives, all that they chose of the women. Well, that happened first. And then they had children. And marriage and living together in the same house and raising a family is quite different from what you are taught is happening in the alien abduction phenomena. It's a, it's a violence. It's against someone's will. It's a hit and run. You know, they're, they're not coming back or if they do, they're just coming back to torment you again. And you're not actually raising a family together. The new Testament confirmations of this angelic story you know, includes Second Peter and Jude. It says the angels actually left their first estate. It left their habitat of angelic realms and stuff like that, and essentially became mortal. And they lived out their lives here. The children were somewhat mutants. They were giants. But and again, to me, that's the second place where this correlation can't so easily be made with the uh, modern accounts. Is people are claiming all kinds of things as to where these hybrid children are, this return of the Nephilim and all this stuff. You know, they're tucked away in underground labs, can't prove that. They're tucked away in the second heaven, can't prove that. What they're not claiming is that they're giants, <laughs> that they look human or they look half human, half gray. 
yeah. or half reptilian. Well, if you're going to draw this argument from the Bible that this is what's happening, to me the most obvious thing you have to consider is, well, the Bible says when fallen angels and women mate, giant offspring are the result. So I know I know it's come up, and it, it's been worth studying. It, it's, it's parallels that are close enough to demand an investigation. My personal belief over years of looking into it is that the 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 parallels are similar, but the actual proof and the evidence actually make the phenomena of modern alien abduction today, and even the tales of hybridization, the belief system of hybridization, uh, is actually a very different phenomena from what I read in Genesis 6. So what do you think that that is, that, that the, the, what these abductees are experiencing uh, with these today so these children or the hybrid is that something that is more i think it's the same thing i always have thought it's been and it's exactly what we've been talking about tonight it's a visionary experience where they get taken to jupiter they get taken to underground bases they travel the cosmos um they see their dead relatives shapeshift into reptilians yeah, <laughs> uh, and then into Jesus, and then back into dead relatives, and then back into lizards, and they're forced to have sex with them, and it torments the individual, and it drives them insane. And bottom line, it's a visionary experience. And I think if you go to alienresistance.org, there is a link called Abductions: Are They Spiritual or Physical? Where I talk about, I give a lot of examples from the Bible of how real visionary experiences produced by angels are in people's lives. And again, the book of Revelation is one of them. Isaiah, there's all kinds of stuff in the Bible where this stuff is real to the senses. It leaves physical effects and everything like that. But once the angel is gone, you're back to normal reality. I'm not saying it was a dream, but I'm just saying even to the point of hybrid, these are only, these are stories of people recounting their visions, their experiences that happened while under the influence of a fallen angel. And I don't believe the part about them going to Jupiter. You know, my experience is I never left my bedroom. And while I do believe everything that happened to me and to anyone that's sharing this experience is probably as real as it was for me, it's as real as we read about it in the Bible. But when the angel is gone, you're back to normal reality. And I don't believe there's a real child or a real underground army any more than I believe there's a space station on Jupiter that they showed you. When the experience ends, the, everything is gone. So these women being shown these babies, it's just another form of torment, basically. Really it is. It's a, it, it connects them because I know what Joe has run into in counseling is that people can come to believe the experience is really fallen angels or demonic but when you're dealing with a woman and her child you know he'll just say it in in very short words it's an extremely powerful hook into a woman's psyche and her maternal instincts if she believes that they're holding her child somewhere that woman will welcome them coming back just to spend a few more minutes with her child i think they recreate the child they recreate the underground base they recreate the spaceship as a visionary experience and they recreate the child. The woman has a real, to her senses, bonding experience. And then the angel disappears and there is no child any more than there was a spaceship to start with. But people that, and, and oddly enough, even these stories are only 
really big in the last few years. It's it just seems like once the truth started coming out in Christian books and even before mine that hey this is all demonic fallen angel experiences it's not real and people were getting free of the experience and just rejecting it and like I said the the experiences stop if it's happening to you an alien abduction experience you can counsel a child just call out to Jesus and the the uh, research shows that it stops the experience if you're a real like born again Christian I know there's it's not a magic wand. It's not a formula. I'm not saying that. You don't just say three Hail Marys or anything like that. But a born-again Christian is actually, the Bible says, endued with power. We are deputized in Jesus' name to cast out demons. I'm not talking about a Catholic priest. I'm talking about a Christian. An eight-year-old in your Sunday school class has the same power uh, potentially within him inherently of the Holy Spirit that the disciples and the apostles worked with in the book of Acts to heal uh, sicknesses and cast out demons. So anyway, that's the theology behind how it ends the experience. But as far as the visionary aspects of it, of it stopping, people will get set free of the experience, and then they're done with it. They get on with normal lives, except if you believe they're holding a kid of yours hostage. Those people tend to welcome the experience to come back and they get further and further indoctrinated into, like, well, sorry, Mom, upstairs, New Age doctrines, <laughs> and uh, and they the torment in their life continues. It's it's sad. It's a powerful deception. And I do know of a few women who have just come who have believed this, and then they came to fully realize that um, they came to fully believe, realize whatever you want to say, that this really is a deception. And no, you're lying. You don't have a kid of mine. And the experience has stopped. They quit bugging her on that one anymore. And she and she's free of it too. Well. Anything you want to add, Luke? Uh I actually invite these beings to come give me some visions because uh I would like to <laughs> I would I would like I would like to experience that. Uh you know, I know there's a lot of negativity. You wanna talk to, you wanna it, talk to a praying mantis being? Yeah, yeah. Why not? <laughs> and uh you know I'm, I'm under you're a the, unique person Luke. I'm, a, I'm under the impression of uh of is it still going I'm under the impression of the uh alien gods and the intelligent design theory and uh you know our creators were highly ascended aliens and so that's that's kind of my avenue right there yeah who made them god but uh <laughs> for yeah <laughs> I respect. Yeah, for me, for me, um, once you become ascended as a physical being, the higher you go, the more you become etheric. So there's kind of like blurred lines between etheric beings and higher ascended aliens. That's what the aliens say in all the research I've read. You are, you are saying the same thing. Yeah. Right or wrong, or agree or disagree. Maybe you have. Maybe some of your invitations have worked, but um, I, I really shouldn't have laughed. I just thought it was ironic when you we can say, well, God made the aliens, but the aliens made us. I mean, to me, that is just pushing the question back a level. It's To me, it's equally reasonable that God made us, and then you can say God made whatever else he wanted to, but to have that intermediary in between us and them is, well, it's, 
aside from being not what the Bible says. It's just, it's kind of a, a not necessary step. You can take it at face value that if God made aliens, well, he made humans as well. And I'm not even saying God did make aliens, but it's just like right. the whole thing that I've seen in the research is you're saying literally exactly what the aliens, and I'll even say Hollywood, have been propagandizing humanity to believe for decades now. Well, and I mean that in a loving way. Well, well, for me, uh, for for me, God is a very general term anyway, because I just believe that encompasses everything, and and is a, a generalization and a fallback on when you, uh, what to say? You know, well, aliens created us, and where are they from? They're from God, you know, because we don't know the interme- intermediary between the aliens and who created them, possibly other aliens, you know, who knows? That's just kind of too far out of my mind mind's reach to think about i understand yeah i think some of that where luke is coming from uh a lot of people what they do is they're trying to um reconcile darwinian evolution with creationism so they're saying well it could either be that a god you know either god created us but they're sort of saying that, uh, and he created everything, but mankind, you know, come from it came from an ape. So there must have been something that was inserted somewhere by another race. Yeah, and that's it's what an intelligent a lot of design. Yeah. yeah, that's another theory, like Eric von Daniken, Zechariah Sitchin. That's right. It's popular pulp fiction in the UFO movement fears as well that there was. Okay, maybe it's not the aliens created us. Well, that's what the Raelian cult believes from scratch. But that we were apes and then aliens came along and tweaked our DNA. You know, that's common yeah. out there too. Again, it just keeps pushing back the question. It's 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 to me I've seen it as patterns as different versions of the same thing. Like I have uh have you seen Ben Stein's Expelled? Yeah, I have. Comes to mind all of a sudden is that I, I have found, I mean, believe me, I did, you've heard me say I did not grow up in church. I never believed this stuff. I think um, Darwinistic evolution is actually a religious belief that requires more faith and has less evidence for it than Christian creationism, biblical creationism offers. Like creation.com is one of our favorite sites to recommend. They've got more Ph.D. and scientists working for them than any other uh, Christian organization in the world. And I know him because, or I know the people behind it, one of them, because he has a book called Alien Intrusion. He's been in Roswell with us. But they have more scientists talking about the age of the Earth and the theory of evolution. And, again, it's theory of evolution. That, that's what made me pause. If this were proven science, we would speak of it like the law of gravity or the law of thermodynamics and the law of anything else. It's still a theory. It's an unproven one. But people believe it so ardently, and they will fight you to the tooth and nail on something that science still admits is not is just a theory, and it's an unproven one, and it's becoming more and more unprovable, actually. Well, to some people, we we know it exists to a certain extent, though, because of different species actually adapting to their surroundings. I mean, that does happen. Macrobiology it happens right. in microscopic beings but it, it is a it is definitely a stretch to say that we evolve for pri- primordial stew yeah <laughs> i agree and uh 
you know, it's kind of like me personally, I just like to wrap all three theories all into one and say that it has to do with evolution as well as intelligent design because, uh, you know, I think they took the most advanced species already on the planet and just kind of upgraded it to become humans. But that's... Well, if they were all that, why didn't... That would be easy. Why didn't they take earthworms and upgrade them? That would be a challenge. Why'd they, why'd they have to pick the most advanced? Uh, I'm just throwing that out. I've never thought this through before. Right. I, just, <laughs> I, I, I think mean, we're just having fun for the sake yeah, of yeah, who, debate, I yeah. mean, a, a gigantic planet. race of earthworms. Yeah. A, a planet full of uh, advanced earthworms. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, whether it's, Or maybe praying, maybe praying yeah. mantises. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it just when you said the most advanced, I'm like, well, gee, that's easy. That's hopscotch. Give me something hard to do. I mean, the Bible says God created man from dirt. <laughs> uh, but, you know, but then, but then there's a gap there too because that means that there would be all of these different species of animals already on the earth and no humans. So that when they gut here, there's monkeys and apes and and all the other animals everywhere. But there's that's no exactly humans. what Genesis says, actually. And whether it's God, the Bible, or the Raelian religion, the whole intelligent design thing, I mean, the Raelians believe that the Raelians from outer space, their aliens created man upright originally on Earth and all life on Earth. The whales, the, the, you know, that's, it's a UFO cult, Raelian religion, and in my case, it was the Heaven's Gate cult teachings that led a group of 39 people to suicide that Got, that made me an activist. I could have kept my mouth shut. I could have had my views. I could have been happy that these experiences weren't happening to me anymore. But I realized, I mean, the, the, the way this awakened for me into a calling is that people are going out and killing themselves, committing suicide um, because of their belief in what these aliens are teaching. And it's not, okay, so the aliens are dead. I mean, I'm sorry, so the Heaven's Gate suicide is dead. There's dozens of other UFO cults, and that all their messages are religious. They all incorporate Jesus in the Bible somehow, but they tweak it to to actually be saying a lot of what we've been covering tonight. The Ashtar Command. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say that. You beat me to it. You had them on too. No, I never had them on, but you're about to soon. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> yeah, it's just some interesting things we've learned about the Ashtar Command. They're pretty weird. <laughs> I'll give it a listen. And if you need me to come on and, you know, balance your counter, maybe I will. Yeah. But, yeah, this is fun. I mean, thanks for listening and letting me present my experiences and point of view. I really am not as argumentative or I don't like to be. You know, if you are, you believe what you believe and sure. vice versa. It's just that is, you start asking the questions. That's my answers for it. That's what my research and my experience and, and again, my belief is and I have my reasons that for believing and can support it to a degree, but we've all just I think most of us are looking. We're all yeah. we're all honestly asking the same questions. Being in Roswell, um to switch gears a little bit, being in Roswell, um and living there as you did, the actual crash at Roswell, what are your ideas about that? What do you think happened there? I can sum it up with a website <laughs> that I wrote. <laughs> uh, you may know that already. Um, uh, RoswellUFOCrash.com. Um, I do believe that the crash happened, and I talked to plenty of people that were either 
children or eyewitnesses or children of eyewitnesses and stuff to when I moved there, you know, whatever else I thought about everything else we've been talking about that I'm presenting, I got asked all the time, well, what really happened here in 1947? Yeah. So it became kind of a hobby horse for me. And I did find out there's uh, pretty much easily verifiable now declassified information pertaining to uh, German scientists that the U.S. imported uh, after World War II that were working on super high-developed, some saucer-type craft, some more triangular or manta or manta-shaped. You know, it's the precursor of the B-52 yeah. was de- designed by German scientists in World War II. They just never got them off the ground in full-scale manufacturing. And, you know, I've got CIA historian quotes that said if the World War II had been extended another year, Hitler would have had this amazing flying assault that would have just pounded the Allies. We moved them over here to work on that, and it was uh, it was an illegal thing to do. Um, president said we couldn't do it. We couldn't move these communists into the country. So they the the organization that became known later as the CIA paper clipped fake dossier files and all these scientists. You can just Google Operation Paperclip for a wealth of information on that now. Um, even the X-Files has got an episode called Paperclip yeah. that has this old German scientist who the, the Chris Carter of the series connects to the Roswell incident. But those over 100 scientists were actually in New Mexico and Texas, White Sands area, and in Dayton, Ohio, working on experimental, crazy for the time period craft. And um, I think there was a little human experimentation involved. I've got pictures up of the disease that produces big heads, other research, big bald heads with large eyes in spindly little children. Other researchers have other veins that support that even the bodies found in the Roswell crash were basically just human fodder for test experiments on high altitude, high speed kind of stuff. What what are the effects of the human body going to be on this type of free fall, et cetera, et cetera. There's a horrid, horrid history of human experimentation by the U.S. government in addition to the Germans and the Japanese whom we imported over here to do this sort of dirty work for us that it was highly classified and it was actually highly immoral, <laughs> but we had a war to win and then we had to maintain our title as world superpower. But actually right before I left Roswell, uh, I was talking about you know lectures in the city paying me. You know, in a city where people come year-round for um, the UFO crash and to find out about aliens, the the conference that the city put on months before I moved away, I was actually one of the paid speakers to present this view. And it is, uh, from what I heard, everybody that walked out of the room, and this was UFO enthusiasts. These were Roswell alien enthusiasts. I thought, just judging by the crowd, that I had maybe a three-quarters conversion rate of people that actually believed my point of view that i presented it well enough to make them think it was a man-made incident that's the answer to your question that's what i think of roswell from what everyone told me though i had at least a 90 percent plus conversion rate (laughs) um people walked out of the room and that lecture uh both the text and the documents and all the supporting links and a video of the lecture itself happening are at roswellufocrash.com so, in other words, the, if the they covered it up because a it would reveal that 
that they were working on top secret craft with German Nazi scientists. scientists. Yeah, it wasn't declassified until the 70s that yeah. these guys were actually even here in the United States. Right. Warner von Braun, who worked on the Moon Project, the Apollo Project, he was one of them. Yeah. And then some other ones that were probably um, not as, uh, didn't do as, probably did a lot worse things during the war than he did. Yeah. Human yeah. Ex- ripping off people's arms and then trying to attach it to somebody else yeah. to see if you could get them to work, things like that. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, and and also B that if the bodies were found are not taken somewhere, then they would have found out that there was human experiments that were going on in the United States. Yeah, it's a sad part of the lecture. Like I, I cover the technology aspect of it, the the ship anyway, and I actually show you pictures of what the Germans were working on, and then you compare it to the eyewitnesses of the Roswell crash. And within 15 minutes of watching the lecture, you're like, this is a no-brainer. <laughs> this was a man-made craft based on German designs. But then those other questions come up. Well, what about the exotic metal that, you know, yeah. bent out of shape? What about the bodies? So the, the, the ship, the first part of the lecture is honestly a no-brainer that nobody has any problem believing. You know, you may be right on that. Gee, the similarities are incredible. But it's nailing down the evidence related to the exotic metal and the bodies it actually turns it into, I would almost say, a rated R topic. Rated R for just sadness and atrocity. But as simp- as convincingly, I'm told, as I make the first half of the argument on the Nazis and the ship based on the photos and the government records, I'm told I make the rest of the argument as convincingly or as possible to where you, most people that have watched it actually walk away going, "There's aliens did not crash in Roswell. This was a horrible chapter of American history, and they were right to classify and cover it up because we wouldn't have wanted to know the truth back then, especially. We did so many things in the name of, you know, quote-unquote freedom and democracy that really just border on really just really heinous stuff. Yep. I mean, and and you talk about the Germans and the Japanese – uh, think of how much we learned from all the horrible experiments they did. The Germans on the Jews and the Japanese on the Chinese and Koreans and their germ warfare. And and it, it, we, you know, it was kind of, in some ways, invaluable information. It, you're right, they it's had true, these, but it's sad. <laughs> they didn't, they didn't have the scruples that uh, we had over here. So I'm very and interested. We didn't, to we see didn't keep that. them because yeah. we started doing the same stuff, just paying them to do it, but or duplicating ourselves. I mean, it's it's, it's just sad. I mean, it, you know, people use phrases like "necessary evil" that I don't agree with. Yeah. Okay, so we'd be speaking Russian now if if we hadn't benefited from all that research, or if we haven't continued that research. You know, a big part of the Roswell crash, you know, the the fact that it's a cover story. I mean, I think uh, in its truest origins, the first days of the Roswell crash, the government purposely wanted people to believe it was an alien craft to cover up what it really was so the Russians and the others would have no idea what type of technology we actually did have. And if the world believed it was an alien crash, they'd have no way of catching up with it themselves. The whole Cold War, any nation or people that believed we actually did have a crashed alien spaceship 
well, they're going to think, well, they are technologically superior. The Americans are working and they're back engineering. And there's no way we're going to beat them. Hmm. And we won the Cold War. And we yep. advanced. So, I mean, I, I don't agree with the phrase necessary evil, but I can understand that I would perhaps not want to have been in the uh, at the desks or in the chairs of the people that were making those decisions back then because I don't know what I'd have done either. Yeah, well, I'm true. not going to judge. Yeah. I, I can... I can talk about how atrocious it was, and obviously you agree, but yeah. I'm not going to judge on that one. <laughs> well, Guy, we're about out of time. I want to thank you for coming on. Can you give us your websites for everybody to, if they want to go and see all your material? Yeah, everything we've discussed is uh, found from alienresistance.org, one place or another. Um, you can link from there to... Uh, Roswell UFO crash, which is a .com in its own, but it's found on Alien Resistance. These conferences that I mentioned, the Ancient of Days conferences that we were having in Roswell, most of it would be uh, different Christian researchers with different angles. Uh, they're, all the DVDs are free to watch online. That's ancientofdays.net, but it's also from alienresistance.org. The stuff that we were talking about, the Nephilim, the more exhaustive Bible studies on that, they're again, they're linked from the site, but just one word run together, nephilimhybrids.com. And a lot of the uh, demons, fallen angels, and especially the visionary stuff that we were talking about is my wife's website, paradoxbrown.com. It's also linked, again, from Alien Resistance. And the abduction stopped in Jesus' name is a research partner and good friend of mine, who was formerly in Florida but no longer is, uh, that's ce4research.com. And, again, it's part of alienresistance.org. Yeah, it's a very good site. It has a lot of resources and a lot of firsthand accounts. Well, we want to thank you for coming on, Guy. Thank you oh, for coming into the uh, awesome Conspiranormal Studios. I will not reveal the location. <laughs> Deep underground. Uh, anything that you want to say, Luke? Uh, good discussion. Nice to meet you. Come up with some cool points there. Try not to drink any Mountain Dew. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that unless right. I need to uh, take care of someone. Yeah, <laughs> turn you into a um, to turn you into a uh, assassin. Yeah, for the government. <laughs> Feels that way. <laughs> well, um, the next show uh, should be pretty interesting. We're going to have on a um, author who's going to talk about black-eyed children. And uh, these are guys that show up at your door and ask to be invited in, and they have solid black eyes. And uh, that should be extremely interesting. But I want to thank everybody for listening to Conspiranormal. Uh, and I think we're just going to call it a night. What do you think, Luke? Time for the beatbox. All right, beatbox this out. Thank you for listening to Conspiranormal. <laughs>
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park 